If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey, this is Paul Feig, and you're listening to Fascination Street Podcast. This podcast is always good, never evil. Yeah! A-V in your ears. Was being giving you this audio visual down the most interesting street in the world with my boy Steve Fascination Street. You already know. Let's get it when you whip in the Fascination Street. What do you... Welcome back, Streetwalkers. This episode is with Dale Peterson. Dale is a screenwriter, a director, a creator, a filmmaker, all the things. And in this episode, we talk about some of his early work, which include. Hello, My Name is Frank, which was a film about an older gentleman who has Tourette's. This film took such great care to portray the protagonist, Frank, and his condition, Tourette's, with such a frank and heartfelt manner that it was actually endorsed by the Tourette Association of America. Get right on out of the city. We also talk about some of his other works, including a multitude of music videos that he shot when he was first getting started, a documentary that he did in the 90s about Los Angeles's homeless problem, and also in the 90s, a documentary that he shot for National Geographic where they reintroduced wolves back into Yellowstone Park. And finally, we'll talk about Dale's new time travel horror thriller TV show, called In Through the Outdoor. It has been picked up by a distributor, so keep an eye out because it's coming soon wherever you get your TV shows these days. It's called In Through the Outdoor. And this is my conversation with writer, director, and creator, Dale Peterson. Prepare to be fascinated. Welcome to Fascination Street Podcast, Dale Peterson. How you doing, man? Fantastic. How are you doing? I cannot complain. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dale Peterson. He is writer, director, creator. He's all the things. We're going to talk about some of those things. But first, what I like to do, Dale, is I like to start from the beginning. It helps us understand how the guests got to where they are. So where were you born and raised, man? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Actually, a suburb of Detroit, but it's kind of one big city like Los Angeles. Being born there, and I love the summer. The winters were brutal, but I think it gave you some grit, you know? (laughs) That's funny. So the Detroit Pistons used to play in the Palace of Auburn Hills, right? Right. And I think uh, 
you know, they got a new stadium or whatever, but then like a few years later, like probably eight or nine years after they moved out of it, I want to say that the Palace of Auburn Hills sold for like half a million dollars. That might be right. I don't know what they did with it, but I was, when I saw that price, I was like, that's less than any house you could possibly buy in California. <laughs> you know, when, when you go back there, and I was just back there a few weeks ago, you realize there's so many open spaces, like you see in Texas here, and that you have to drive so far here to find in open spaces like that. But Auburn Hills, I think they made a deal with them. There wasn't anything out there, really, you know? And so when they moved it back down to Detroit, Nobody wanted to go out there. You know, there was a new concert hall, new basketball stadium, everything in downtown now. I wonder what they did with it. Yeah, it is interesting, but I remember that too when it sold like that. And it <laughs> interesting. It blew me away. I was just like, oh my God, that's so cheap. Um, so what'd you want to be when you were growing up, man? You know what? I didn't know. I did play around with film cameras when I was young, but starting back that young, I had no idea. I don't talk about it much, but I was dyslexic in school. And so school wasn't a thing for me. I was very visual. And whereas when I was young, I probably would have given anything in the world to change that thing about me. But the older I got, it's been a gift, really. In what way? Well, I couldn't read when I was young. And so I kind of taught myself to read. And to this day, I don't read like anybody else. But I truly believe, and I don't have anything scientific to back me up, but I think I created different neural pathways to where I can listen to, you know, somebody talking in a classroom, and then they're going to give a test on the subject, and I can grasp the whole concept right away, go take the test and pass it. So I don't think I would have developed that skill. And it made me extremely visual for what I do now. So I talked to a lot of people in the Hollywood biz, the business of show, if you will, that grew up, you know, dyslexic. So sometimes they weren't diagnosed or didn't have a word for it back then or whatever. But I think that there has to be some sort of, and obviously just like you, I don't have any science to back this up, but there must be some sort of a link between creating the neural path, like thinking outside the box, right? So you had to get creative to figure out how to sort of, in your school, really, you had to get creative with how to do all your assignments. Fake it for all those years and not let anybody know, you know, really that, you know, because when I, when I was young and I told people, they didn't know what it was really. And then I just stopped telling people after a while and just faked it for a long time. And then I slowly taught myself how to read and now I read things very quickly. And now I'm a writer now. How ironic is that? Too? <laughs> That's funny, right? So I, I think there definitely must be some sort of a link between the creativity side of your brain that helps you muddle through all that stuff. And then later, boom, you know, you're doing these super creative projects where you're writing, you're directing, you're creating stuff. So I, there must be a link. I've talked to so many people. When I was young, the thing that connected me kind of even more to this business was there was the producer, director, Stephen J. Connell, who mm -hmm. he did the A-Team. He did Rockford Files back in the 70s and all sorts of different shows. I heard him in the 80s giving a talk out here in Pasadena, and he, he was telling my story mm -hmm. of school. It was exactly the same. And so I thought, oh my God, this guy, he's got the exact same thing as me, and he's visual just like me. I just thought it was a great success story that he overcame it too. So, 
Okay, along those lines, one of my favorite questions to ask, I guess, is what made you think you could? And so what I mean by that is you grew up not really having any idea what you wanted to be. You struggled with reading and writing and all of that stuff. When you finally did pull the trigger, you know, you you dipped your toe into, you know, writing and directing or whatever. What made you think you could, especially with that past of the struggle? What made you think you could do it? You know what? I don't know. I had jobs, everything from working in a meat market and cleaning up the meat when I was a kid. So I worked in a jewelry store. When I worked in a jewelry store, I had this guy who was kind of a mentor to me. And, and I was about 16. He showed me business and he understood kind of all that. And he he really saw something in me, I think. He was a mentor to me. And I, I think seeing him in business, I wanted to maybe do something along that line too. So from there on out, I came out to California and I started really believing that anything I could visualize, I could make happen. I know that sounds kind of trite and a lot of people say that with that book, The Secret or or whatever, but I'm really individualizing my future. And after I've passed certain goals, it was expensive to stay out here in California, you know, and I had to work and do all that. Once I realized that, I think in my mid-20s, I kind of realized that, look, at I am dreaming this all up. I am, you know, putting forth the dream. I just saw the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, and he talks a lot about that. And, you know, if you think about, he shows the small town he came from in Austria. His brother didn't have it. His friends didn't have it. But he had this thing of, I'm going to do this. And he just went forward. And I kind of had that thing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> if it's grit or if it's when you're young and, and stupid, you know, you, <laughs> you think, oh, okay, I can go move to this city, you know, and it doesn't seem so daunting. I saw a poster a long time ago when I was a little kid that said, it's amazing what you can do when you don't know you can't do it. And it kind of sounds like that was your thing, you know, like, yeah, there was no reason you couldn't do it. You didn't know that all of that stuff was hard as shit. <laughs> I had some extremely supportive parents. My mom always put that in my head. I could do anything, you know, you can go into business for yourself. She was very positive people, you know, supported me coming out here. So I had that too going for me. Now, before you moved out to California, you got into directing music videos. Is that right? Like back in Michigan? I did. I had a friend who played in a band very good friend in high school. The band got signed to Virgin Records and he had a manager at the time and his manager was Eminem's manager also and several other bands. And I had purchased camera equipment. I had an old Russian film camera with a really cool lens on it. Video was just in its early stage too, you know, and I had the video camera. I mixed the two mediums a lot, but I went and I shot bands and music's my first love being from Detroit. Detroit's a rock and roll town. Like Rock City. That's where the Hall of Fame should have been, in my opinion. But really, you grow up on this music. I heard Dave Grohl say it once, and he's the only one that explained it when I talk about this to people and how I gelled with bands, is that there's something that happens when you're in early puberty. And if you grasp this thing with music that not everybody does, but a lot of people do, then you're almost in this little club you know, because it becomes part of your identity, you know, like in this music. And I always kind of felt like when I was around musicians, I was in this little club already with them, you know, and <laughs> that's just kind of the way I felt about it. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. So was it through, I guess, through your friend that you ended up shooting all of these videos for all these different bands? 
I did. I went on several tours with bands through through him and his manager and shot live shows. And I think through doing that really even got more proficient at shooting live music stuff and then got introduced to other artists and other record labels. And it just kind of snowballed a little bit from there. When I do one, somebody else would say, Hey, can you go shoot this band over here? And then all of a sudden a record label that was up North when their bands would come through LA, they would say, can you shoot their video? And I started shooting bigger videos and getting in on some bigger shoots after that, that was kind of the process right there. Now this friend, you haven't mentioned his name. Are you still friends with him? Yes, I'm not in touch with him right now, but I know what he's doing. He's retired from the music business a long time. I haven't been in touch with him in a while, but he's doing well. Was his band a band we've heard of? Have you ever heard of the record label Amphetamine Reptile back in... It was kind of more an obscure band, but it's called Mog Stunt Team. No, I haven't. They were kind of obscure, but they did have a little following there. That's awesome. Yeah. So then after directing, oh, I don't know. 100 million music videos you you decided to tackle skid row i know you did some things in between there but tell me what made you decide to make a documentary film about the homeless problem in la well long story short is that i in my 20s when i moved to los angeles the homeless problem was way worse than i'd ever seen in detroit and i didn't understand it really but through a friend i met a guy who did nothing but go down to Skid Row and feed the homeless. Didn't want to change anybody. Didn't, it sounded interesting to me. And so I went with him several times and then became a regular volunteer with his organization every Tuesday morning. And we'd get down there at seven o'clock in the morning, be done by nine o'clock and he'd bring food down there and they'd, <laughs> there'd be a line just waiting for us. But through that process, I did get a different understanding of a little bit of the homeless problem. And I knew some people that were in the business and got a little documentary funded. And that was it. It focused on kind of the issues that issues aren't any different now. So how long ago was this that you made this film? I want to say 91, 1991, 92, right about there. So what do you think the difference is now? I mean, I, I know you said there's probably roughly the same issues, but it's exponentially more affecting well if you look at it per capita though la has grown so much since i was there the homeless population is bigger but so is our population in general but you know i have nothing to back me up like once again but just from experience from seven years of volunteering on skid row i don't think the problem's any different there's about a 10 percent that have fallen through the cracks and that are that need a little bit of help out the other, whatever you want to split it up, it is drug addiction and uh, mental illness. Gotcha. It is. And, and, and that's my opinion on it. I don't think it's changed at all. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> you know, there's government agencies get in and one does this thing and then, then that's no good. And then they try this thing over here. And so I don't know what I would like to see a permanent solution to it. That would be awesome. Yeah. A little while later. You made another sort of a documentary, but this one was for National Geographic about some wolves in Yellowstone. Yeah. What prompted that? Did they call you and say, hey, you got a minute? Or I'd known some people in the business and there was a uh, bunch of camera guys that were kind of really rugged camera guys that would be called to um, 
go in, out in the middle of the woods or something or go do something very adventurous. I got together with them and we got approached by National Geographic when they were going to re- release the wolf back into Yellowstone. They did this whole ceremony with this tribe and we camped out there and it was a fantastic experience and it really turned out well. If you Google the impact of the wolf on Yellowstone up there since then, you're going to see in this amazing little documentary of how it really balanced things out up there. There were so many species that were overrunning since the wolf had been killed off. I know the ranchers don't like them and they do, wolves do have to be kept in check, but it balanced everything out. It made the meadows more fertile because things were more balanced. Interesting. Yeah. Is it a documentary, would you say? Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That documentary was called National Geographic, Wolves, A Legend Returns to Yellowstone. And earlier, that movie I talked about, about the um, L.A. Skid Row population, that was called Bring Your Best. So go right. check those out for sure. Hey, streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details let's get back into it I want to move on just a little bit. Halo in my coffee. First of all, how did you come up with that name? Did you come up with that name? I didn't. I was a, a director on it, but it was actually produced by a friend of mine. And he had connection with Steve Martin at the time who financed that film. At the time in the 90s when we were shooting it, it's kind of happened a lot, but it was the time when Starbucks was moving in on the corner where the local coffee house had been for the last 25 years and putting them out of business because you know they're doing it fast and there's Starbucks down the street now. And there was all these little coffee houses inside of LA 
that have been kind of fixtures for bands and for poets. And it's a different side of LA that I never saw before until I got involved with it. And it's a fascinating little documentary. I think it's on YouTube. And again, that one is called Halo in My Coffee. I love that title. That's a really, really cool title. Yeah. You know what? It was actually, we were sitting filming the, this guy who had just done this poet set or this group of little poets at a table. And the one guy started going, look, there's a halo in my coffee. It's a halo. <laughs> and so that's how the producer came up with that name. But I loved it too when he said it. Do you think it was like, you know, just from the lights above kind of a thing? I think it was like from he had put a creamer in there and the creamer like popped um, up and it came up in like a little halo. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and then this is the last oldish thing we're going to talk about, I think. In 2016, you completed a film called Hello, My Name is Frank. Yes. I'm going to guess that that name comes from the name tag that Frank was wearing. <laughs> yes, it's it's about a man who who had Tourette syndrome. He was kind of um, a recluse and sheltered because he didn't want to go out because of the Tourette syndrome. And he had a caretaker, and the caretaker dies and leaves him alone with her seventeen year old daughter, who's just graduating high school. She's planning this stuff after she graduates, but she's also worried about Frank being despondent and doesn't want to leave Frank. And she planned this road trip with her friends, and they end up taking Frank on a road trip. So it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> you know, where everyone gets a little bit of something they need. I'm very proud of In Through the Outdoor, but I'm extremely proud of that film. It was in 2017, we were in, in the Amazon top 10 of indie films. Oh, rad. And it was also was endorsed by the Tourette's Association of America. Is it because you did such a realistic and not glorified or ridiculousized version? hundred percent. Years before that script, the original script had a despondent PTSD war survivor that was the main character. And it, I think that had been done, but I saw this documentary with this man in England. He had these terrible tics and he was an adult and he, he just had them his whole life. But at the end of the movie, he said, you know what? Look at things could be worse. I've got a job. I've got friends. And it was a little bit of a success story. And so it was very inspiring to, to see that. And so I used him as a model in writing. When I'd write the movie, I never made the jokes about the man with Tourette's. I made him part of the jokes. And so that's what came off. When we had showed that around the country, I had so many people with Tourette's that came up to me and thanked me for making that film because no one had portrayed it without making them the joke. Yeah. I mean, every time I've seen it in television and film, it's been some sort of a butt of a joke. Right. Of all of the things that you have done up to this point, what do you think was the biggest door opener for you? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I would say the, the connection with the first band and getting let into the backstage type thing with artists and being able to be around them, collaborate with them, and then them liking my work and recommending me to somebody else. I think at that point in my career, it was very gratifying when all that was happening too. But also I think my feature has really opened a lot of doors too. People look at my stuff a lot more serious now. And, and that feature is, hello, my name is Frank. Yes. Is that your only feature to date? You know what? Without boring you and telling you a super long story, right before COVID, 
I think you would see on my IMDb page, it's a movie called Saving Santa. And that movie was fun and it was a bigger budget sci-fi type Santa Claus movie. And right before COVID, we were casting it in March of 2020, doing the final casting. We had a great casting director, actually the same casting director that's within Through the Outdoor. And she called me up that first week in March, said, you know, the one actress is flying in from New York and they're kind of worried. Let's put it off a few weeks. Oh, no. A few weeks turned into a few months. And then a lot of the money dropped out because the theater business had folded. So anyways, I am going to make that again someday. And I have several on the uh, slate and people that are interested in my other feature scripts. I have a high school script, too, that you can see in there that was option at one time called Most Likely to Suck. (laughs) it's a little bit of a super band with a little different edge on it it's all written about school and the snow in detroit and takes place in one day it's a snow day yeah it's just one day that kind of changes everybody so it got option did it revert back to you yet it did and so i'm i'm in the process of doing a little bit of a rewrite on it right now and i have several people that would help finance it but if detroit ever gets the tax rebate back again. I'll go to Detroit and make it. (laughs) It's pretty crazy, right? How when states let go of that, their film and television industry just dries up. It was crazy that until that happened, they were shooting big movies in Detroit. And they shot Batman in there. They shot huge, huge movies, just like Atlanta. It was growing at the same, but now Atlanta's shooting more than they are in Southern California. Thanks, Tyler Perry. Yeah, exactly. The way financing works, and I'll let the cat out of the bag with your audience, is that when producers go to finance a movie, the first thing they do is they look for a state where they're going to get that rebate. And on that state rebate, they can go to a bank and get a loan on that money already. And so that's the first part of financing a lot of times now. (laughs) That's crazy, right? Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the elephant that is in the room sitting behind you. Yes. I guess as we record this tonight, June 30th, you're going to premiere at the Dances with Films Festival in Hollywood, the first episode of the new time travel horror thriller called In Through the Outdoor. It's a series. Yes. This is the premiere of the series. Premiere of the series. So first, the name. Is that from Led Zeppelin? Well, I love that album. From when <laughs> it's a great, I do like that album, but I really generally call it a killing time with the uh, serial killer in it. But something hit me one day when I was working on the scene for the time travel and the time travel device is a door. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's in through the outdoor. And everyone seemed to like it. And then I talked with people in the legal field and they said they can't copyright that. So I put it on. <laughs> yeah, you hear that, Led Zeppelin lawyers? It's yeah, yeah, exactly. completely unrelated. <laughs> So tell me about this show. So you were the writer, director, and creator of this show. How did this come about? Well, actually during COVID, when the other thing fell through, we had similar producers and they knew I had this series kind of written out. I had the first few episodes. Did you have your Bible already? Yeah, I already had all that. And first three seasons mapped out and they liked it. And we got some people involved and they wanted to finance the first episode. And so we got the first episode financed and got a really great studio involved with costumes and the whole works. And it just turned out great to do something historical 
time travel thriller. So I heard someone describe it as Bill and Ted meet Jack the Rip. I'm just kidding. Nobody ever said Bill that. Bill and Ted's girlfriend, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What's the plot? Tell me what's what's this show about? Get me excited. Well, there was a book on the New York Times bestseller called Devil in the White City. And people in the Chicago Midwest area know about this more than people around the country. But a lot of people, when I bring that book up, they know about it. But it was about America's first serial killer. They call him America's first serial killer in 1893. For the World's Fair, he built this hotel. And this hotel, he had at least 40 some different hidden doors, passages, rooms, hidden rooms that he could go around this hotel and get into your room in the middle of the night. You would never know it. And he committed some of his murders that way. But anyways, my story starts in Chicago with this young entrepreneur who's in his 30s with his fiance. And he buys this hotel because it's going to be torn down. And nobody wants it because of all the stuff that happened in there. And it's it's just going to be demolished and rebuilt. And he saves it from that and buys it. And he likes the history of it and the, the secret rooms and wants to explore it. And he gets involved in the construction of it. And they find a hidden room down in the basement that no one's ever found before. And it has this old type of Edison-looking time machine there and there's a little book and inside the book the only thing they were missing in 1893 chemical wise to make this work was lithium and he has lithium in his phone now and he does the experiment and then him and his fiance get pulled back into 1893 when the machine goes off and now they have to be in 1893 with a serial killer owning a hotel which is the only way to get back to present day did he happen to bring the blueprints with him, or does he remember all of these secret passageways? He hasn't explored all of them yet. He did find that one. They found that one in the basement, and he does have a connection to his great-grandfather who's in that era. He does know a connection to him, and so without giving the whole thing away, they do go to this great-grandfather for help. And on the poster, it's the guy on the right-hand side, and that's Garrett M. Brown, I He's been a character actor for years. He's, he played Frank. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, wasn't he Frank? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's been a friend and he's one of my favorite actors. And it's a pleasure to work with him every single time. Where can people find this? There is a strike going on right now. What? There is. <laughs> but there's going to be an announcement soon. We're not announcing anything or there's something's going to happen soon. And there will be an announcement in the near future of, of where gotcha. it's going to be distributed. But the thing we're doing now has nothing to do with that. Our actors are all union. And it's a nonprofit thing that we're doing down here for this so they can show off their talent. We had a talented cast with this. We had a great casting director. So there is distribution. The event tonight is not part of it, but there is distribution. We just haven't said who it is yet, right? Yes, in the near future, yep. Fantastic. Can you tell me how many seasons are greenlit through this distributor? Or we don't say that either. They like the whole thing, but we are going to shoot a season. <laughs> but I do have three seasons with them. Now tell me, you said it's a very talented cast. Who is in it? Besides Garrett Brown, who's in it? We have Martin Copping, who's a great actor. His his dad was a famous director in Australia. He grew up acting. 
I'm letting the cat out of the bag, but he he actually has an Australian accent, which you would never know in mine because he pulls off the English accent flawlessly. And then I have Christine Kilmer. She's another fantastic actress. And the guy who plays our H.H. Holmes serial killer is uh, Jesse Boyd. He was on Walking Dead. I'll tell you something about Jesse. Jesse's a method actor. And with method acting, you actually embody this character. And so I would look over in the studio. <laughs> and he's murdering somebody. And he's sitting, I'm not kidding you, in the far corner of the studio in the dark. And I'd look up there and he'd just be <laughs> staring at everybody. So it was a little creep, but it was, he, he was fantastic. I had to do very little direction with him. He was so good. And his name is Jesse Boyd? Yes. Oh, that is awesome. Well, I know that we're not talking about distribution, but do we have a timeline about when this might be released to the masses? Not right now. We don't, but it should be sometime soon. That's all I can say. I, I don't really have anything. I don't want to say something that, you know, it's going to be a month and then, sure. you know. <laughs> yeah, I got that. What's in the can right now? Just the pilot or the first couple of episodes? Just the first. And so we're, we'll get ready to shoot. We shot at the studio and they built most of the sets that are in there. But it's called Fonco Studios and the, the owner of it's Fon Davis. And he worked on everything from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark to um, Star Wars, everything. You know, he's a special effects expert and fantastic studio to do this at. That is exciting stuff. Yeah. I know this is your main focus right now. Again, it's called In Through the Outdoor. Yeah. Keep your ears peeled for it. Uh, it'll come out soon. This is one of the most disrespectful questions that anybody can ask anybody else. So I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. What else you got cooking? What else is going on, man? Well, those other two things I told you about, I'm ready to go with the Santa movie. This is my main focus right now. Me as a director and a writer, I want to have everything perfect on this first. But like I said, the second Detroit opens up with that, or maybe they won't even do it. And we will go shoot it in Minnesota or something where they have a little bit of a, a repaid or something. But when that happens, I'm excited for the next few things I got going. I have a, like a no country for old men type script that takes place in New Mexico that is on the burner too. And people are looking at that. Look at you with all the irons in the fire. You act like this is your main focus, but yet you got all these irons, bro. Good job, man. Thanks. Thank you. Where can people find out more about In Through the Outdoor? Is there a, a website? Is there social media specifically for the show yet? The Instagram is Magic TP Films. M-A-G-I-C-T is in Thomas. P is in Peter films. There's information about all that. And that's probably the first place we're going to announce it on there. And then there will be a press release too. So, Does anybody ever ask you why you guys think toilet paper is magic? <laughs> magic toilet paper films? What? <laughs> There's a things the Indians used to live in too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. How about you personally? Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing, what you're all about? Same place. That Magic TP Films is our company and that we put out all the notifications there. IMDb's like in the last 10 years, every few months, they'll throw up another video that I did. And I'll say, oh, yeah, I was the camera operator on that video. And so I'll throw the video up on my site, too. Gotcha. Well, as we're heading out, Dale, is there anything I didn't ask you or we didn't talk about that you specifically wanted to talk about today? Did I miss anything? I don't think so. I don't think so. Listen, this was a great, complete Howard Stern type interview, you know, like <laughs> it was really good. 
I'm not ashamed of it at all, but I've never really talked about my dyslexia or me being dyslexic. Probably got the most out of anybody that, is, that I've ever talked about. That. I did want to ask you one question about that. You said that yeah. when you were younger, you had dyslexia. You made it sound past tense. Is it over? No, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Trust me. Listen, if, thank God for spell check, you know, because I go back and look over the thing, red line, red line, red line, you know, through the whole through the whole last scene that I just wrote. But no, no, no. Making a long story short is the way I kind of taught myself to read is my dad got a newspaper every day. And I would just go to the sports section or something I, I liked and I would try to just struggle through it and kind of taught myself to read. There's um over 250,000 words in the English language. And kind of the way I taught myself to read is everything has its own shape kind of looks together. And so I still can't spell that well, but I can read really fast now. <laughs> Interesting. And so I, I still do it, but listen, every day there's something in there and I do things my own way. I don't think the same way as a lot of people and I'm very visual. Well, if the poster behind you is any indication, I agree. <laughs> well, Dale Peterson, writer, director, creator of the new and exciting forthcoming television series, In Through the Outdoor, which is a time travel horror thriller starring all those people that you said earlier. I am going to look for this. I can't wait for when it's available to the masses. And man, Dale, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day and your hectic series creating schedule to hang out and let us get to know you a little bit better on Fascination Street, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Steve. Thanks so much. This has been my favorite interview so far. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you, man. It has been my pleasure. And you have a great rest of your week, man. Go have a blast tonight. Live it up. Enjoy it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks a lot, Dale. You have a great night. Bye. Bye bye. Opening music is the song FSP theme, written, performed, and provided by Ambush Vin. Closing music is from the song Say My Name off the 2021 album Underdog Anthems used with permission from Jax Hollow. If you like the show, tell a friend. Subscribe and rate and review the show on iTunes and wherever else you download podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. All the episodes are available there as well. Check me out on Vero at Fascination Street Pod and TikTok at Fascination Street Pod. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.